Welcome to the Davos in the Desert podcast series. My name is Mark Oliver and I am the producer of the Davos in the Desert podcast series. Our podcasts feature thought leaders in business and public policy. Our sessions are meant to be informative and thought-provoking. The topic of this session is, Valuing Restaurants, and our guest is Bruce Jones. Bruce is the principal and chief appraiser of RMS Commercial Group. Without further ado, here is David Wanatik, the CEO of Davos in the Desert and the host of our podcast series. Hello, everyone. My name is David Wanatik. I'm the CEO of the Business Development Academy. And in addition to that, I'm a managing director at J.D. Merritt, a uh, boutique investment bank. This is uh, part of our restaurant series. We want to learn and educate uh, the listeners and viewers about uh, the restaurant business. Today's session is focused on valuing restaurants. So very pleased to introduce our speaker, Bruce Jones. He's the chief appraiser and CEO of RMS Commercial Group. Uh, Bruce has uh, about 35 years of appraisal valuation experience. Uh, He's been focusing on restaurants for the past seven years or so, and he's valued hundreds of restaurants. So I'm sure we're going to learn a lot from Bruce today. Bruce Jones, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to join you. Unfortunately, we can't see Bruce. He's a very uh, handsome young man, but uh, <laughs> we won't be able to, to see him. <clears throat> but he'll uh, do a great job of educating us about uh, praising restaurants. So before we get into your slides, um, just a little bit about your business, if I may. Um, typically, what is the motivation for somebody to hire you to appraise their restaurant? Is it because they're looking to sell it or estate planning reasons? Uh, Both, obviously. Uh, I do a lot of uh, financing appraisals, uh, a lot of appraisers for for people who are looking to buy uh, a location, people to buy a a practice uh, with the the business uh, for uh, various litigation purposes, whether it be a divorce, uh, partnership dispute, uh, or, uh, you know, various other reasons, but, uh, you know, the, those are, those are probably the main, main ones. Okay. And so, uh, live in the mid Atlantic region. Um, did you focus on restaurants in that geographic area or, uh, all over the country? I have appraised them all over the country. Uh, I mean, probably 90% of the uh, restaurants I've been, uh, I, I've appraised are mostly in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic region, uh, but I, I cover a fairly wide footprint. Okay. And how long does it typically take you to conduct an appraisal? Uh, well, I mean, I, I, uh, I typically uh, give turn times of Two uh, two to three weeks uh, to get appraisals done. The actual amount of time to take the appraisal to to complete the appraisal is obviously much less than that. Uh, but uh, I've got a workflow, and uh, you know, by the time we get research completed uh, and uh, and uh, you know work through the analysis, uh, usually two to three weeks on the turn time. Okay, and I believe you have three or four colleagues at your firm. Is that right? Uh, just uh, just uh, just two besides me at this point. Uh, mostly, primarily researchers. Okay. 
And typically, um, how organ? I know this varies, but um, are the accounting records in in good enough shape for you to do your review, or typically do you need to send an accountant in to clean up their books a bit before you do your appraisal? Well, typically, it's, uh, I get the best records that I can from them. I usually ask them for both uh, copies of their tax returns uh, along with their internal record keeping. Uh, but it's usually not so much an accountant uh, putting it back together. It's myself uh, going through the records, asking them a lot of questions, uh, you know, looking for issues in the uh, 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 in the uh, expenses uh, that are alerts that you know to to ask further questions to make sure that there's not people on the payroll that maybe don't really have jobs or maybe you know family members who work in the business who aren't paid or aren't paid very much uh, or all kinds of different issues. Bottom line is we want to we want to equalize or stabilize the cash flows. Uh, so that whoever buys the business or who, you know, the hypothetical buyer would understand what their cash flow would look like. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting point. So if you're looking at a restaurant and they have some family members that are not working, you would uh, remove those expenses. And uh, I suppose on the other side, if they're the CEO, the owner is working very, very hard and not paying himself very much at all, you would uh, boost up his pay to reflect what um, a more typical situation would look like right that's yeah that's uh, that's the key uh, key point is you want to make sure that uh, whoever the hypothetical buyer hasn't has a clear understanding of what they would really need to pay uh, uh, operationally to, uh, to to keep the business running and you know just like with all small businesses very often the records aren't very good. Uh, but there's usually enough, uh, and uh, with enough questions, and uh, and and going through, and just uh, having appraised so many restaurants over the years, I I I can figure out which questions to ask, uh, and probe a little deeper when uh, when needed, uh, and come up with uh, numbers that uh, that makes sense. Okay. Well, we're excited for you to go into your uh, brief presentation, but I'll just ask one more question before that. Um, what is the trend in, in reporting cash? Um, you know, now there's more technologies that, uh, you know, can, can take different forms of payment. Maybe more people are paying with debit cards and, and credit cards and Apple Pay and, and so on. Uh, so do you find there's less um, incidence of misreporting uh, all revenues because of such technologies? You know what? I'm not really sure about that. I mean, for the most part, we need to deal with uh, actual, you know, cash that's uh, that's uh, re uh, reported. If it's not reported, we can't impute it uh, because then, you know, we're kind of guessing at a value. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there, there are there are times where, you know, business owners will tell us, oh, yeah, we have two sets of books or we don't show all, but for purposes of valuation, you, you can't really, you can't really value what's, uh, what you can. So, so I guess if, if a restaurant proprietor was under reporting cash received, 
um, he would be hurting this valuation, right? Because you usually get a, yes. a multiple on, on your valuation. Absolutely. And really, for, for primarily what he's, what he's hurting is the intangible business value. Yeah, and that's where it's, uh, that's why it's important because obviously, uh, restaurants are they're real estate uh, intensive businesses. Real estate is uh, tends to be a, a very important part of the business, uh, and a lot of the owners own their real estate. Uh, so uh, it's 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 important to you know understand that uh, uh, you know th that part of it. Uh, and if you have owners that are underreporting, and a lot of times that's uh, that's the situation. If they if they own their own real estate, and uh, they they haven't had to get a mortgage, uh, so okay. So you were saying that some restaurants um, uh, may be an issue with cash if they haven't taken a mortgage. Well, the the whole the whole issue of 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 uh, cash earnings that are that are not reported, we, there's 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 no way there's no way to really deal with that uh, in terms of valuation. We we need to uh, you know uh, deal with uh, with uh, actual cash flows that are uh, you know that are you know that can be quantified and 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 proven. Okay. All right, great. Well, um, we really appreciate you putting together some slides for us. So if you'd like to start walking us through, the, through them, that would be great. Sure. Uh, uh, to start with, one of the uh, uh, primary metrics uh, or you know, uh, levels of cash flow uh, that are important in the, the restaurant business uh, as, a, uh, as it is with uh, other small businesses is uh, seller discretionary earnings. Uh, it's an integral part of the cash flow stream uh, uh, for these types of small businesses. Uh, and there's a few steps that you need to uh, follow in order to, to, to calculate that. Uh, and essentially, it's all of the cash, all of the you know, cash flow that's attributed to you that can be attributed to the, uh, the business owner. All right. Below is uh, here's a uh, here's a uh, a sample tax return. Uh, shows a you know uh, cash flows up top, and if you look at lines uh, 15 and 16, which are depreciation uh, and uh, interest, amortization is on line 17, and uh, an ordinary business loss is on line uh, 90. I've got those all uh, highlighted to, uh, to show them. Then on the next one, you add those together. And this is uh, uh, a typical lender calculation of how they would uh, uh, calculate EBITDA, uh, er earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Uh, net income loss from the financials was 90293 Add in interest. Taxes, uh, there's no taxes there. Uh, depreciation, amortization uh, for a total of 189,042. Uh, and uh, Bruce, is um, your EBITDA calculation, does that usually come out pretty close to the operating earnings? Uh, th this, is, this is typically the way lenders do it. 
but it's it's when you go longhand, it's it's usually going to be pretty close, but there are differences. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the normalizing adjustments are non-recurring expenses. Uh, that's what I was talking about. Uh, if a, if there is, a, and you see this all the time with small businesses, maybe there was a lawsuit where they've been paying, you know, damages for three or four or five years or something like that. But that'll go away uh, eventually, and it's not going to be a recurring uh, uh, expense. Uh, Non-business expenses, uh, owner perks. Uh, you know, some uh, a lot of business owners put, you know, car payments. Uh, on their tax returns and things of that sort. Uh, rent adjustments when the when the business owner also owns real estate, and sometimes the rent will be above market or below market. You adjust that to uh, to market levels. So if, if they're paying below market rent, right? Do you you add that differential? Yes. To EBITDA, okay. So if the market rents $100 and they're paying 90, their seller's discretionary earnings would go up by $10? Exactly. Okay. Uh, so yeah, in this case, uh, adjustments, uh, we've added another $15,000 to owner compensation, uh, added uh, non-business, uh, non uh, non-recurring uh, owner perks, $5,000, uh, add rent, of 144,000 uh, less fair market rent of 100, so the difference is uh, you know 44,000 uh, dollars uh, results in a indicated seller discretionary earnings of 253.042. And if there were multiple partners, would you you would do the same analysis on owners' compensation and perks and so on? Oh yeah, it, 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 yeah. With uh, when there when there's multiple partners, then there's just more to look at. There's more to uh, suss out uh, because yeah, sometimes you'll have you know uh, you know uh, you have to look at the combination of of what the two or three partners or four partners are 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 uh, taking out, and you have to see you know, make sure that it makes sense based on what they're what they're contributing to the business. Okay, uh, owner's compensation is included in salaries and wages, uh, expense uh, line item nine. Uh, yeah, we collect a, a W-2 from the owners. Basically, and this is, this is all going through, asking a lot of questions, asking for uh, documentation, uh, and getting a handle on what the what the what the correct income and expenses are going to be for the property, uh, or, or for for the for the for the business. So when we think of owners' perks, you know, we think about things like uh, cars and uh, travel and country clubs and dues and and things like that. Are there any other um, you know interesting things you've seen included in perks? Oh boy, yeah, I've, uh, I've certainly seen quite a few. Well, you see, uh, uh, girlfriends' cars, <laughs> uh, where where the where the business uh, owner is obviously married. Uh, 
trying to think of what other ones uh, you have. And obviously you find situations where uh, you have, uh, you know, kids that are on the payroll and find that the kid is in college full time and obviously doesn't work in the business. Um, are, are there any liabilities for, for doing that other than making accounting adjustments? You know, um, IRS concerned about that? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, you know, obviously that's beyond the scope of, uh, of of my appraisal. But yeah, I mean, obviously, anytime they're they're misreporting things to the IRS, that's not a that's not a good thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah, non-operating income uh, has to be removed. Uh, I'm trying to think of what uh, kind of non-operating. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes there will be uh, if uh, if the restaurant is located next door to another uh, type of business that needs a lot of parking when the restaurant's closed. Sometimes they'll rent parking spaces and things like that. A lot of times it's it's better to to take that income out of there. Uh, well, know, wouldn't that be operating the income if you know if they're they're using it as an asset on a regular basis? Yeah, uh, but it, but it all depends because a lot of times if that income source were to go away, they couldn't replicate it. It would just be, you know, maybe the one, you know, there's a there's a handshake deal because maybe the the, the business owners are friends, uh, or or something like that. So you have to be very careful with that uh, because obviously anybody, uh, and also depending on what you're, because sometimes I I appraise just the business and sometimes I appraise both the both the business and the real estate. If I'm appraising just the business and the real estate's not part of it, uh, then got to be careful not to include anything like that in uh, in, uh, in the end. You're bringing up, I think, an interesting test, whether or not an asset is operating or not operating, even though it's generating some revenue, if there's only one potential customer that it can account for that revenue, that might make it uh, non-operating. Right, exactly. exactly. Interesting. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, here's some, uh, let me see, as soon below, uh, uh, there are some significant differences between appraiser cash flow and lender cash flow, namely the rent adjustment uh, and the buyer's required draw. Because, uh, yeah, you want to make sure that uh, uh, the buyer's got to be drawing some sort of uh, uh, income from the operation if he's working at it. Although lenders may determine similar earning streams as their uh, underwriting processes, the adjustments lenders apply to arrive at their earning streams are usually specific to deal terms and borrower requirements.
All right, some things to, to, to look at for uh, if family members are on payroll, uh, is their role needed? Uh, or are they overpaid? Uh, it's not uncommon for a wife to be on payroll uh, and maybe she works as a, uh, you know, as a hostess, but is paid, uh, paid $100,000 a year or $150,000 a year. Uh, uh, or you have, you know, maybe kids that work in the business uh, that receive next to nothing uh, in pay. And obviously, you know, hidden friends, girlfriends, things of that sort, uh, you want to look out for, uh, and obviously what the, what the owner pays themselves. Sometimes they pay themselves, you know, way below what they should be, what they would have to pay someone else to do everything that they do, or they overpay themselves. A key, uh, a common uh, occurrence in the uh, in the restaurant uh, business uh, is the practice of uh, uh, key money, where you have a restaurant that's not doing very well, uh, and the uh, the, the seller of the uh, of the business just wanting to recoup some of his investment uh, will try to sell uh, the remaining lease term and the equipment that he has in place to a new restaurant owner. Um, so that's at the end of the life of, of the restaurant, right? Actually, no, this is this is just one of those situations. Uh, it's more common where restaurants get started and maybe in the end of the first year or middle of the first year or in the second year where he's not doing very well. He's going under uh, and he's just trying to save part of his investment. Rather than just walking away from the whole thing. Sometimes they'll, you know, he'll have, you know, good, uh, good lease terms. Uh, or you'll have, you know, equipment in place, uh, and a new and another restaurant uh, restaurateur would be willing to take over that position and uh, and and give him some money just mm -hmm. to just to get out and take over. Yeah, I guess you know that's probably dependent on change of control provisions in the lease, right? How cooperative the landlord is with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in the in the majority of cases, landlords. I mean, they're they're primarily interested in, you know, tenant that 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 pays their rent. Uh, it can be an issue, uh, and I've seen this before, where uh, the new restaurateur wants to open up a different type of concept that's in there that may that may compete with another restaurant in the same shopping center. Uh, that can be a, a big problem. Okay. I, I heard that um, the capacity in the restaurant industry really never shrinks because um, the equipment in the kitchen is so expensive that it's never really just discarded. It's, you know, if, if the current restaurateur doesn't use it or doesn't find another restaurant, the landlord will. Uh, you know, more likely to put have a restaurant replace another restaurant than the, another retailer replace a restaurant. I don't know if I would agree with that. Uh, I mean, restaurant equipment, it, it costs a, a lot of money to put in. Uh, 
But by the same token, there are a lot of landlords who are reluctant to take to bring restaurants in. It's not uncommon for restaurants to pay a higher rental rate than the landlord will charge other rents uh, to uh, other tenants in the same retail center. Specifically because restaurants create something, you know, things like, you know, vermin uh, and, you know, if they if they have trash uh, or, you know, grease traps that don't get emptied or, you know, uh, things like that. Uh, yeah, there's there's lots of landlords out there that are reluctant to take on a restaurant uh, tenant and therefore they charge a higher rent and, the, the, you know, if the restaurant wants to be in there, they'll pay it. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not uncommon to see it more than, you know, a couple of dollars a square foot. Uh, but when the tenant moves out, uh, if the, if the, if the landlord has had a bad uh, experience with past restaurant tenants, which sometimes they, they have that, you know, uh, you know, uh, Restaurants are one of those businesses that they can struggle once in a while. Sometimes you know, they're, they're they're small business owners. Uh, they get into the business. They're not really you know, numbers people. They like to cook. They like to you know they they like that end of the business. But sometimes they're not great operators, so they struggle financially here and there. And if a landlord has been through that in the past. They may say, I don't want any more tenants, uh, uh, restaurant tenants in there. Uh, and also uh, an interesting thing that, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon for landlords to say, oh, well, this tenant moved in there and they uh, they installed, you know, three or four hundred thousand dollars worth of restaurant equipment. So, you know, that's got to be worth something. But the fact is, it's, it's really not. You know what I mean? It, it's it's worth it to uh, a restaurant equipment company that can resell it to another restaurant, but just the, you know, the, the, it's worth a fraction of what it's worth uh, uh, replacement cost. So I suppose that it's pretty easy to remove kitchen equipment, even though it's expensive and heavy. Um, is that right? You can have a company go in there to, to remove it and uh, store it, I guess. A lot of it, except for things like, you know, the, you know, hoods, uh, and things like that are custom built. Uh, they're expensive. And if they're taken out, there's not, I mean, they're, they're custom built for whatever space they're going into. So very often they can be just, uh, just a waste, but most of the other equipment, uh, I mean, that can be, that can be moved. But like I said, I mean, Landlords, they, they, you know, anybody who's been through it before knows that they're not going to get much money out of, uh, uh, you know, trying to salvage the equipment that's in there. Okay, great. Uh, and these are you know, rules of rules of thumb: uh, total occupancy cost, rent. Camp charges, insurance, real estate taxes uh, shouldn't exceed you know ten to twelve percent. Uh, base rent typically in the five to nine percent range, but it's it's important to kind of understand that metric because it's it's commonly thrown around and everybody says ah you know five to five to nine or five to ten percent 
But it's it's really important to recognize that on the higher end of the range, that's typically reserved for restaurants in unusually good locations. For restaurants in average locations, they shouldn't pay more than six or seven percent. Uh, if they're paying, you know, eight or nine percent, they're 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 kind of cutting they're cutting into their profits and. Uh, uh, it's a little bit more of a risky operation. Uh, bad locations, you know, you know, you know, you know, very, very marginal locations, you know, five or six percent. Most leases are, are are based on the square footage, I'd imagine, and then some of them maybe also have a uh, take a commission on revenue. Yeah. Uh, there's not that many out there. There, there are there are some landlords that'll uh, uh, that'll ask for a percentage rent, uh, but they're not that common. You know, here and there, but uh, but but they're but they're not really common. Uh, and as far as uh, you know, yeah, rent per square foot is very typical. But you know, with small time landlords uh, and uh, and non professional managers. I uh, and uh, you know small brokers and so forth. It's not uncommon for them to say, oh, I, "I just want so much a month." Right. Uh, the the key is with restaurants because restaurants are a fairly low margin business. Uh, so uh, if they if they operate them successfully, uh, you know they they really pay attention to the numbers. Uh, you know, they, they can they can squeeze, you know, decent profits out of there. But uh, I mean, if you if you look at the, uh, you know, the. Uh, the restaurant, uh, was it uh, the National Restaurant Association, their annual survey or the uh, that's uh, that's put together every year, the average uh, profit is like six point two percent. So it's, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of restaurateurs out there that have been in the business for many many years. They own their locations or they've rented, you know, they're renting and they're you know they 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 make a living. It's a job for them, uh, but they're not making a lot of money. Oh. Uh, the last slide is uh, it actually it's a fairly deep analysis that I did. Uh, it was over uh, uh, sales of uh, uh, restaurants that I had all the numbers for. Uh, and this is just kind of a, a, a summary of all the numbers. And it's fairly telling. Uh, one thing that's kind of interesting, actually, if you go to the very bottom of it, you'll show that, uh, you know, in the in this study, the study, the median size of the restaurants was just over 5,000 square feet, whereas the smallest ones were 3,000 square feet and the largest were 6,600. Uh, but this is a little bit looking in the rearview mirror because the size of restaurants has been declining over the past several years. Uh, most restaurants that are getting, getting built nowadays are in the 35%, or, I'm sorry, 3,500 square foot range. Uh, whereas historically, a lot of restaurants were built six, seven thousand square feet. Uh, Perkins Pancakes and uh, you know uh, a lot of those types of restaurants. Uh, 
and they're a lot of them are they're functionally obsolete now. That's why you see them getting converted into medical office space and things like that. Or they'll take a portion of the space, maybe half the half the building, and they'll keep that as restaurant space, and they'll convert the rest to something else. But yeah, but restaurants are getting smaller, primarily because more and more restaurants are entering the market and competing. And also focus on takeout too, or lots of lots of takeout orders. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, you know that's uh, you know for for some restaurants, uh, there are some restaurants uh, uh, you know in the past few years they've they've learned to navigate that market. Up until up until uh, the pandemic started, a lot of restaurants didn't really want to get involved in that. I mean, you had you know, saw you know a small percentage of the restaurants that were really involved in it, uh, but uh, especially you know uh, delivery and things like that, it was more trouble than it was worth for them. Uh, it was just more profit in traditional restaurants, uh, but with the pandemic. You know they've they've learned they've uh, they've adopted some strategies to make those types of uh, operations profitable. Okay. When you say square footage, you mean the square footage of the whole restaurant, including the kitchen, too, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um. I'm not sure if you have anything else to tell us on these slides. Uh, right. Yeah, the, yeah, I guess that you, you know some of the uh, key things, uh, you know, uh, key ratios on the bottom. Uh, um, the right coverage ratio is is kind of a big deal. It's kind of a, an important metric when uh, when figuring out, uh, you know, uh, for both separating the business from the real estate. Which can be, you know, uh, you know, an extremely important uh, uh, detail for lenders to let them understand, because many, many restaurants sell with uh, with uh, with the, the real estate, and it's important to make sure that you have those separated for lending uh, purposes. Uh, the rent coverage ratio is one way of essentially uh, separating the uh, the the. The business value from the uh, from the uh, from the real estate. Okay. Anything you want to say about uh, landlords making improvements? Um, you know, how, how does that affect the valuation of of a restaurant? Well, uh, typically, when landlords make improvements to restaurants, they essentially, uh, in most cases, they amortize the cost. Of those improvements over the life of the uh, 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 lease agreement. Uh, so what that'll do is that'll increase the rental rate, and the rental rate can, you know, uh, you know, well, it, it it does. I mean, uh, like I said, restaurants are are relatively low margin businesses, so it's very important to keep the uh, the rental rate in check. Uh, so uh, when landlords do uh, fit out, it's important to keep it in balance uh, so that the uh, 
the revenue that's being generated by the restaurant can support the paying back of that uh, of those uh, of that fit out. Okay. <clears throat> and um, anything you want to say about uh, food costs? You know, food costs spiking. Um, you know, is have we seen the worst of it? You know, food costs might moderate from here on out. Yeah, that's that's. I mean, it's it's really hard to say because uh, obviously some costs have have, have really gotten out of control. Uh, I mean, there, uh, restaurants have taken some measures to uh, to neutralize that to an extent. Uh, more and more, you see where restaurants, uh, you know, where they never did in the past, uh, when uh, people pay by credit card. In the past, they usually didn't charge them uh, the uh, you know the you know the cost to Visa and Mastercard and so forth. More and more, that's happening, uh, and part of that is in response to increasing costs uh, and shrinking profit margins. Um, but also, I mean, you, you've you've seen menu prices. Have increased dramatically, uh, dramatically over the past. Yeah. Um, the question about labor, and if you want to say about labor turnover or um, uh, higher wages, minimum wages, uh, and also it seems like restaurants are kind of shifting some of the onus of paying their workers onto the customer. You know, you order a cup of coffee, you know, and then or they they hand you a bottle of water and they want a tip, uh, you know. For, for doing that. Um, so anyway, anything you would like to say about labor costs? Well, I mean, labor has been a, a big issue and actually it started, well, it's been around for a long time, but obviously with the states in the past few years of uh, enacting minimum wage laws that dramatically increased minimum wages, that's, had an, that's obviously had an impact on, uh, on restaurants. Uh, but then you had the pandemic that started, and next thing you know, I mean, you know, restaurants around the country have had a they've had a heck of a time finding labor. I mean, many have that uh, they've increased the number of days that they're closed uh, because they just don't have a staff to stay open. Uh, you know, you know. Or as, as much as they would like. Uh, uh, and uh, in a lot of cases, they'll keep sections of the restaurant closed uh, while they, uh, because they just don't have, they don't have the labor to, to, to staff it. They don't have the, the servers. They don't have the cooks. They just don't have the labor. Right. It's been a real struggle for them. I know there's some improvement in technology as far as ordering and paying and checking out by yourself, getting your, your tab, uh, you know, from your phone or whatever. Uh, but are there any um, robots or any automation going into the kitchen? The national companies uh, are certainly adopting more uh, because they can afford to uh, invest in it. Uh, but investment from uh, uh, independent restaurants is a little bit slower. It's certainly happening. Uh, especially with the uh, with the challenges that are coming from, like I said, the increased minimum wage 
uh, which certainly pinches their finances uh, and uh, the inability to find enough workers uh, forces them to invest in, uh, in some of those technologies. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how, uh, how they you know, fare over the next few years. Right. Uh, second to last question, um, anything you wanna say about net operating loss carryovers? Uh, you know, some restaurants lose money and they can carry over those losses to shield some of their federal income tax in future years. But if a restaurant sells to another restaurant, anything you can say to the extent to which those NOLs transfer to the new owner? I haven't really got uh, involved in that uh, all too much. So yeah, I don't have too much to say on it. I got my, my guess would be if it's an asset sale, maybe not uh, if they're buying the, the shares of the company, maybe. It yeah, most commonly, that's exactly what's happening is to, most of them are asset sales. Uh, so that's primarily what, uh, what I get involved uh, with. Okay, okay. So I guess maybe the last question, um, multiple units, um, does it does it help a, a restaurant if they have multiple units, they get a lot more leverage in terms of uh, uh, food costs, cost of goods sold? Or, you know, is there, is there harder to manage them? You have to put a more management structure, you know? So at what point does that sort of balance out or become reason, you know, a good business to, to expand the number of units? Yeah, there's no question that, I mean, obviously economies of scale is, is, is you know, it's the name of the game in, 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 in lots of different uh, uh, ventures and uh, restaurants are certainly no exception. Uh, matter of fact, there are uh, you know lots of uh, 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 landlords and so forth that won't even deal with uh, you know that they only want uh, franchises with you know a certain number of uh, uh, number of units. Uh, but the, the the key with that is the concept has to uh, attract. Franchisees, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the more they can, uh, the more they can bring in, the, uh, the the you know the better it is for them. Okay, well, great. Um, I think we can end this session here. Uh, so I'd like to thank Bruce Jones for taking a lot of time and preparing these slides and and talking to us and educating us and sharing his years of of experience valuing restaurants and other businesses. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with Bruce, he's with uh, RMS Commercial Group. Uh, you can find the website online. And he does valuation work of restaurants and other properties and other assets and other businesses all over the country. So uh, feel free to reach out to Bruce. Bruce, thank you very much for joining us. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks, David.